We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host and World Series combined no-hitter pitcher. Yes, that is true. I did not allow a hit in the World Series game last night, so I'm proud to say I'm part of that combined no-hitter. I would say most of you are as well. You can join our conversation. We're not going to talk about the World Series much, but we'll talk about some other important things today. You can join our conversation by calling 888-528-2557, 888-LA-TALKS. You can remember it that way, 888-528-2557. You can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. All right. Yesterday, uh, after our show, President Biden gave a speech about the political violence and uh, some things about the upcoming election. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about maybe how it could be done a little bit better and uh, what was appropriate and what wasn't. My fellow Americans, we're facing a defining moment, an inflection point. We must, with one overwhelming, unified voice, speak as a country and say there's no place, no place for voter intimidation or political violence in America, whether it's directed at Democrats or Republicans. No place, period. No place ever. Now, he said this just after describing the attack on Paul Pelosi that happened in the Pelosi's home a few days ago where he got hit in the head with a hammer uh, by a guy who came in and, and did that. And that case uh, just raised a lot of political questions on kind of all sides and lots of spin. Of course, we're coming up to an election. And uh, that's one of the controversial things about the speech is that ultimately he's asking people to vote for his side, not the other side, and saying that. Uh, democracy is on the ballot. We'll get to that in a little bit. I want to say that there is a truth to the fact that, statistically speaking, and we've observed it in the past few years, we've seen it on our TVs, we've seen the riots, we've seen this event, we've seen January 6th, we've seen so many different things. There has been an increase in some political violence. And a report that came out from UC Davis just this week in the LA Times reported that roughly 5 million Americans, according to the survey, would be willing to kill someone to achieve a political purpose. Uh, That's, you know, a very scary, scary statement that we are seeing an upcrease. And because of that, I think it's it's appropriate for a president to address this. But you also have to bring along solutions to the problem and you can't make it one sided. And that's something I wish that the president would do when he brings us up is not make it about the election that's six days away, five days away now. And I wish that he would bring in both sides because there's plenty of both sides. And it's not about being both sides-ism. Sometimes you can just say, well, yeah, oh, yeah, the other side did it and uh, not still not do anything about it. But I think you diffuse the, uh, the, you diffuse the situation when you acknowledge the reality that there are things happening on both sides. And see, I think that so many of us are in a, a bubble on the left or a bubble on the right, whatever our politics are. Sometimes we don't know that – 
there are other things going on. Did you know that there are 75, there has been 75 attacks on pregnancy counseling centers in the United States just since last May? When the, uh, remember the Supreme Court, the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe, and that was leaked. Since that started happening, these attacks started. There have been 75 attacks, violent attacks. Some people have been hurt, lots of firebombing and vandalism and spray paint and a lot of threats. The spray paint usually is, if abortions aren't safe, neither are you. And uh, what happened here in Glendale just a few weeks ago, right here in Southern California, several here in California, and a letter was sent, and this is what it said, to all the conservatives, Fox News anchors, judges, cops, Christian extremists, or federal agents reading this. This attack, referring to the attack in Glendale, the attack in Glendale was on a a pregnancy counseling center, and they spray-painted all over it, if abortions aren't safe, neither are you, and uh, that kind of threat. And they said, this attack is nothing in compare to what is in store for you. Some spray paint will be some spray paint will be the least of your worries. For decades, you have bombed abortion clinics and murdered doctors. There have been a few cases of that. It's been a while. Uh, was, there was an abortion doctor who was uh, murdered. Uh, how long ago was that now? It's happened in Kansas or something. And, uh, yep, that did happen. And there have been some bombings and uh, vandalism of abortion clinics as well. Should not be happening. It doesn't work. It doesn't help your side. But the response is not to just do the same or to escalate it, which is what this group is doing. This is a group called Jane's Revenge. They say, we fight not just for abortion rights, but for trans liberation, ecological harmony, decolonization, the destruction of white supremacy and capitalism, and the uprooting of the entire global civilization. I'm not even sure what that part means. The rest of it's sort of your uh, critical theory stuff. The uprooting of the entire global civilization. Is that the goal to uproot everybody, or is that what they believe has happened? I think it, I think what they mean is they believe that everybody has been uprooted. What does that mean? Though? How do you fix that? Do you... <laughs> Do you just send everybody back to whatever, you know, you think the country of origin was? It's the most bizarre thing. Anyway, they say that. Then they say this. We will hunt you down and make your lives a living hell. You started this war, but we will win it. So far, it's just been pregnancy crisis centers, but tomorrow it might be your cars, your homes, or even your lives. We support a diversity of tactics, and we will not step down in this fight. Okay. You know, I don't know about you, but if somebody spray painted my home or my place of business and I got that kind of uh, note, uh, I would be concerned. I would I would I would hope that the police do something about this. And in fact, in in all of these these attacks, sometimes they don't get reported or charges not pressed because the people in these clinics are afraid for the young women who are going there. They think that they're going to get attacked. They don't want to expose their client base uh, to these crazy people. What bugs me is that. As far as I know, none of these people have been arrested. If you can put it on a website, I just got that off a website, an anarchist website. Um, Isn't there a trail? There's got to be a digital trail to who you are, I suppose. I guess you could go to a library and do it in some anonymous way. But nobody's getting arrested for these attacks and other stuff. The point here is, is that the president would do better. And I would encourage you, you, if you're the type of person who likes to write the president or you get involved in that kind of stuff, encourage our leaders, to stop making things that are not partisan, partisan. Yep, there's some people on the right who have done and are doing some terrible things. That that guy who did the thing to Paul Pelosi, 
most likely he is a drug addict. He's got a, a very serious kind of, uh, you know, worst case San Francisco lifestyle, all kinds of different things. And he's probably a crazy person. And yeah, maybe he was influenced by some right wing stuff on the web. Uh, people who know him says he has been influenced by left-wing stuff. Most of the stuff at his home was left-wing stuff. So it's kind of both sides. And yes, the kind of rhetoric that is out there might encourage crazy people to go and do something drastic like this. And it's bad. I get it. A president should, a president needs to address that. Leaders need to address that. But I don't understand why, I mean, I do understand it's politics, but it's not helping the situation to keep it just one-sided. Are you following me there? You're listening to Southern California Live. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. And I'm responding to uh, the president's speech. I think that we should be aware that, that the violence is not okay. And the, the suggestion that this is how you handle the problems if you don't like the result of an election or you're just not liking what some people are doing or what is theorized that they're doing, what is speculative, speculative of what they are doing – this is not how you run a country. This is not how you have a peaceful society. All right. The president said some other things that I also thought he should address differently. Um, this is a clip number, uh, clip two. He's going to talk about uh, the election. The great irony about the 220 election is that it's the most attacked election in our history. And yet, and yet, there's no election in our history that we can be more certain of its results. You know, the, the thing is, is whatever you believe about 2020, he said 220, he meant 2020, whatever you believe happened, where you believe that the presidency was stolen from Donald Trump or you don't believe that at all, whatever it is that you believe. He went on to talk about how there were several court cases, and it's true, none of those court cases panned out. Most of them didn't get past the first stage because there's a lot of of stories and accusations, hey, there's some funny business here, but there's no A plus B equals C funny business in the in court. You've got to you have to have evidence. This is the person who did it. This is their testimony. This is this is how they did it. This is the ballots that are wrong. These are the you know it's much more complicated than just saying it. And one of the problems is, is both sides, and it's been going on as we talked about yesterday. If you listen to this program for 20 years, especially on the the Democrat side in 2000, 2004, and 2014, and then Republicans, and then 2016, Republicans last time, 2020, have been saying um, elections are stolen and that it's not legitimate, and the candidates who win are not legitimate. Okay, the thing is, is the way our country works is you've got to prove it. And proof isn't just, gosh, it really looks like it. And both sides are doing that. The president needs to to acknowledge, however, that when he says that it's the most certain election we've ever had, it's not true. According to multiple polls, okay, at least it's not what people think, even if he's right, even if it's true, even if it was the actual most secure election. I don't think he's right, by the way, at all. I don't think – I think the mail ballots were – we're crazy. There's all kinds of problems with the, with that election and probably the one coming up. Already some lawsuits and things coming up on this next one. But let's just say, for the sake of argument, that he's right. Multiple polls, about 65% of Republicans think that the, last, the 2020 election was not secure. About 65%. About 35% of the electorate overall, so including Republicans, some Democrats, and some independents, think that the 2020 election was not secure. 
And you can find those polls with Associated Press, Morning Consult, Quinnipiac, all there's multiple polls. And they all say about the same thing, about a, about 35 percent, about a third, or give or take, of Americans have some questions about what happened in 2020. Whether those questions are legit or not is not my point right now. My point right now is that our leadership needs to acknowledge our leadership needs to acknowledge that whether or not the election is secure, people, a lot of people, have problems with it. That's what I think the president ought to say. I think it's okay to address those things, but he's got to do that. See, the people aren't certain. That's where I'm concerned. And that's where it just, I think, these kinds of things break down. What do you think about this? You can give me a call and join the conversation. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Did you listen to the speech? Did you have a uh, response to it? Is it something that you're, you you felt good about or did you have questions? You know, I, I want to give some benefit to the doubt that when we're having violent stuff, a leader needs to address it. Uh, it's the way he's doing it and making it very partisan, I think just it's it would be better if he doesn't. All right. Uh, if he if he did it a different way. Um, and, you know, he went on to say that. The that there are people who are threatening um, to make the current election um, invalid. They're not going to accept the current election. Here's some more that President Biden had to say. Yet now, extreme MAGA Republicans aim to question not only the legitimacy of past elections, but elections being held now and into the future. So here's my, I don't, maybe he doesn't know, but Hillary Clinton this week, yes, that Hillary Clinton, who, by the way, if I were to if I were to bet, and I I don't gamble on this stuff, but uh, or on anything, but if I were, I would probably say that Hillary Clinton's running for president in 2024 because she's everywhere right now, and she's doing the thing. She says she's not. She flat out says, "No, I'll never do that again." And uh, you know, maybe that's maybe that's true, but uh, she was speaking recently, and this is what she had to say. Listen to this: Right wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election. And they're not making a secret of it. The right-wing-controlled Supreme Court may be poised to rule on giving state legislatures, yes, you heard me that correctly, state legislatures the power to overturn presidential elections. Now, she doesn't give any evidence for that at all. Nothing. There's been some conversation that happened in 2020, which also happened on the Democratic side in uh, 2004 and 2000, about whether or not state houses have the right to recall um, the people in the Electoral College who will be voting as electors and those kinds of things. There, That isn't going to happen. That's not a real plan. You know why it's not a real plan? Because it would be stupid for any side to do it. Number one, if you did it, then the other party can do it whenever they're in power. If you do it once, then the next party can do it, right? It's just people are not going to go for that. The Supreme Court's not going to find that. uh, There's just nothing there. But she's saying that. My point isn't even to criticize Hillary other than, I mean, it is. She shouldn't be saying that. But do you notice this? If If you are a conservative person and you're, say, you watch Fox News and you listen to conservative talk radio, then you've heard that Hillary clip already, okay? And you've been hearing that for a few days because people on the right are, are saying, look at what she's saying. 
But then when you hear President Biden say, Yet now, extreme MAGA Republicans aim to question not only the legitimacy of past elections, but elections being held now and into the future. See, if you've already heard Hillary say those things a few days ago, and then you hear the president say that, you immediately realize he has no credibility on this. That's what drives me crazy, that he should come out and condemn all of it. That people who are projecting all the way to 2024, that the other side is getting ready to steal that election. That's ex- what Hillary did is exactly what Donald Trump is being accused of doing by the January 6th committee, essentially. Okay, there hasn't been a, a, a you know an attack on the Capitol. There's nobody in a Buffalo suit that we've seen yet, but... That's where that stuff leads. I think that, once again, the president should be out there addressing this stuff as the leader because it's escalating. But you can't just say one side or the other is doing it. You you have to be careful about the the politics of doing it a few days before the election. Are you with me here? And and there's some things that I'm, I'm getting at with this. We're coming up to this election. Whether you're excited about it or not, it's going to be over on Wednesday or a week afterward. We'll see how it goes. The issues that we face, we cannot as voters, as citizens, where I think most of us actually agree on the the basic idea that our elections should be so secure that anybody who suggests that there might have been cheating, that they would immediately be discounted, that there should never be an election where for any reason, 35% of the country questions whether or not it's legitimate. And there are reasons. Some people have don't have good reasons, but some people have really good reasons to question, hey, this could have been better, or maybe there's something going on here that, that should have been shut down. I think most of us agree that we should fix that, all right? But it's got to be both sides. That's something that I think we have to demand from our leaders. When the politics is gone, when we have a little bit of time, some, you know, immediately the presidential election starts on Wednesday. And you're going to see a whole lot of back and forth on that. Some candidates might even announce as early as December. um, And it begins. Okay. We, I think, as citizens, if I can encourage you, is don't disengage from the national stuff, especially the local stuff. And if we have problems coming up next week, we have to do something about it so that it doesn't continue. If it can't be proven in court that somebody's cheating... If it can't be, if you can't say exactly these are the ballots that are fraudulent, this is the person who did it, this is the, you know, then it's going to be hard to prove anything in court. But if there's a sense that somebody could do that, at least a large sense of that, something has to be done. I'll give you some another example. The president went on to uh, say this about something we should expect next week. We know that more and more ballots are cast in early voting or by mail in America. We know that many states don't start counting those ballots until after the polls close on November 8th. That means in some cases we won't know the winner of the election for a few days until a few days after the election. It takes time to count all legitimate ballots in a legal and orderly manner. It's always been important for citizens in democracy to be informed and engaged. Now it's important for citizens to be patient as well. So he's going to say, and he's probably right, that the election may not be decided. Some some major, major uh, races may not be decided on Tuesday night. Number one, I think that's ridiculous that in our country we can't do that. Some states do that. Florida, you're going to know on on Tuesday night. At some point, Tuesday night, you're going to know that 
who the governor is going to be and who wins the Senate race, and you're going to know almost every race in that state. And the reason why is because after 2000, they got their act together and they put together a voting system where things get counted and done much quicker. Now, some local races that might be super close or if it comes down to 100 votes or something in some areas, there will be a recount. There will be other things that are automatic. But the TV is going to tell you, or the Ferocious Election Day special, which hopefully you're part of, we're going to tell you who won in most states on Tuesday night. But some states, you're not. And one of those states is Pennsylvania, who has no excuse, by the way. And that is that state could determine the the balance of power in the Senate, right? So people are going to be watching that. That's the one with uh, um, Fetterman and Oz, okay, if you've been paying attention. Two really bad candidates, and we'll see who actually pulls it out. It's tied in most of the polls. But that could be days. And what happens and – and Pennsylvania, by the way, has always been a hot mess. It wasn't just 2020. It, that is a, a mess all the time. Sometimes the margin is big enough that it doesn't make news and it doesn't really matter that much. But for years, especially in Philadelphia – and I track these things. So I'm – when I have my uh, my election night special, was you can join by going to our website and looking for Southern California Live and clicking on the link for Ferocious Election Day special or go to ferocious.com, F-U-R-R-O-W-C-I-O-U-S.com. I, I track all of these things, and Philadelphia is always crazy. And what happens – and it's going to take days. And what happens, though, is that that's where people start to wonder, and especially if, like what happened in 2020, the results flip over time, people have questions. The Supreme Court in Pennsylvania made a huge decision yesterday that will affect how those ballots are are counted. And there's already been lawsuits because of this. It's already been controversial. And see, this is why we need to address these things in a nonpartisan way. Other states have done this successfully. Other states have managed to come together with a way to do elections where actually most people don't question it. Uh, where actually, even if people do question it, it's pretty quick to reject the criticisms of the system. But some states are a mess. We need to do better with that. When we come back, I'll tell you what happened in Pennsylvania, and I'll take your calls. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can also send me an email, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. How do you feel about this? Are you burned out by it? Do you care? Uh, I think we need to care because I think as as citizens moving forward through this, we cannot have the sides going after each other in an era where people are increasing in their acceptance of political violence. As Christians, it's never an option to do that. We even have teaching by our Lord about how to deal with this kind of thing, and we'll talk about that later this hour also. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. I'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. Stay tuned. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Typical year, we're often not faced with questions of whether the vote we cast will preserve democracy or put us at risk. But this year we are. This year, I hope you'll make the future of our democracy an important part of your decision to vote and how you vote. This is uh, President Biden in a speech yesterday about political violence and uh, election denialism and things like that that uh, he gave just six days before the election. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. 888-528-2557 is the number if you want to respond. Did you watch the speech? What did you get out of it? 
Uh, this is where I think the speech goes off the rails here at the end, where suddenly your vote on Tuesday, if you don't vote for the president's party, then you are voting against democracy. <laughs> and that's the end for democracy. That's it. Um, I don't think I've ever heard that before in American politics. I, I don't think I got to think about it. You know, Donald Trump said a lot of stuff, and you, but, you know, I, it's just uh, it's just an odd thing to say that the, the democracy is, uh, is on the ballot. And, um, you know, what's interesting about that is more people are voting. They're saying this now, this time than usual in a midterm election. So it seems like uh, we're doing better as far as the democracy goes. People uh, making a choice. I do hope that you get out there and vote, however you're going to vote, that you do that. Walking into an event in New Hampshire, New Hampshire Republican candidate Don Bolduck was uh, somebody came out of the crowd. Apparently, it was some guy who's on YouTube all the time and and attacked him, but missed. Uh, tried to slug him or something in the face, and he dodged it, and uh, he got out of there. Uh, so yeah, we have this kind of tension and things going on. In Pennsylvania, and this is where the president uh, in his speech also was warning us that the counting might go on for days. Pennsylvania is is probably ground zero for that. Maybe Michigan, some other states, uh, but probably Pennsylvania is the one that we're going to care about because the balance of the Senate could be coming down to this um, uh, race between uh, Dr. Oz and uh, John Fetterman. Well, there was a lawsuit already. There's already been lawsuits and some controversies this year. And usually, by the way, there are. It's not new that there are some. But some places there have been some attacks on what exactly is going on. And what's, what's going on in Pennsylvania is that the, the person who runs the elections in Pennsylvania, who is a Democrat, made a ruling uh, on his own recently that said, hey, if you receive ballots in the mail uh, that don't have a date on it, go ahead and count them. It's okay to count those, which is a violation of federal law. It's a violation of Pennsylvania law. You know, Pennsylvania law is pretty clear. You you get your mail ballot, you sign it, and you date it. There's probably a question that the courts could get involved that says if it's got a postmark on it, that counts as the date. And I would say I would agree with that. It should. That should count. You know, if you drop your mail, your ballot in the mail, the postmark date tells me when you dropped it off, right? Um, but the controversy is that he said, hey, uh, you can count them if there's no date on it. Well, that's part of the hot mess that keeps happening in in Pennsylvania. And some of you maybe have already figured this out. One side says that it's irrelevant whether or not the date's on there because we need to count the vote. We need to have everybody's vote count. And I agree that if it's a legitimate vote, you got to do everything you can to let the <clears throat> excuse me, to let the vote count and not deprive somebody of their voice in the election. And I think you bend over backwards for that sometimes. However, the problem here is that if it's not dated, and if at the same time the counting goes on for days, then what's going to happen is the loser is going to say, hey, I lost because you counted votes that came in late, that you took votes that came in, this stack of ballots that you counted on Thursday uh, have no date on it. And how do I know that you had those on Tuesday? See what I'm saying? And the thing is, is that they might say, well, we did have them on Tuesday. We haven't taken any ballots. And then you might say, well, how do I know? There's no date on them. See, this is where we get all of this contention. That contention has already happened. It happened on the Republican side between Dr. Oz and his opponent in the primary. 
And that's what triggered this lawsuit, ultimately. Dr. Oz barely won by a 1,000 votes in the primary, triggered an automatic recount. And Dr. Oz opposed the counting of about 850 ballots against his opponent, David McCormick. And uh, his opponent, David McCormick, sued to include the ballots. Um, that probably didn't matter because it wasn't enough of those ballots to make a difference. But see, even in the even in the partisan side, the Republican person who was losing was saying, no, you need to count the ones with no date on it. And the winner said, no, you can't count the ones with no date on it because it's illegal. Well, it went back and forth. Pennsylvania said, yes, you can count them. But the Pennsylvania Supreme Court decided yesterday, no, you can't. It's got to have the date on it. Messages, sign and date your ballot. In California, with your ballot, make sure you read the instructions and do it right. If you've got any doubts, take it in to a voting center with you. By the way, just to make sure your vote counts. In California, we have voter tracking, right? So you can drop your mail, drop it in the mail. You can drop it in one of these boxes. I think it's better in the mail. Or bring it in or vote and make sure you keep track of it. There's there's a little uh, receipt that you've got for what your voter number is. And you can log on and actually track whether or not it's been received. Uh, do that. But you see what I'm saying here is that the idea that we're just going to take ballots that have no date, if the if they could count them and be done on election night, eh, people would probably be okay with that. There wouldn't be much of an argument. But you see, if it because it takes Pennsylvania days to count the votes, it's not irrelevant to make sure that people put the date on there. It's a Pennsylvania has a foolishly slow process for doing all this. And undated ballots counted after November 8th could give rise to questions and challenges from the losing side. That's just the way it goes. And it could go either way, which is kind of the point that I'm making, is that the president is accusing MAGA Republicans, whoever they are. He he said a couple of times he thinks it's a minority of the Republican Party. Okay. Um, but it's both sides. We have seen do this in elections across the country. My friends, these, these things, you know, maybe it's just irritating, but there is... There is a way forward. There is a way to to solve this so that we don't have these discussions. I would like in 2024 to not be talking about this. I would like to not have this happen. I would like to make sure that that people feel real comfortable, win or lose, that their their votes count. Can I encourage you to stay involved, to stay involved with all of the different things that you might be passionate about right now because we have an election, whether it be school boards, whether it be local stuff, Proposition 1, uh, abortion, full-term abortions, those kinds of things. Those things, whatever happens in the vote, there is still plenty of work to do, and there's going to be a lot of addressing of those issues that needs to happen. And we need to stay engaged with it to speak up for those people who are um, who don't have a voice, to also be fair in our own dealing with this on both sides. You know, if you think that somebody who voted differently than you got cheated out of that election, then you need to speak up for them. It matters. We need to have a system where it becomes very difficult. And and I think the way to encourage candidates, hopefully what's going to happen is not a bunch of legal challenges, but a candidate has a right to pursue legal challenges. I think that's fine. But when they're exhausted, then if they still feel cheated, but they can't prove it, then what they need to do is work for reforms to eliminate the speculation. That's what I think that we as voters also can encourage of our leaders, the people we vote for. If we lose the election, our side loses, and we think we got cheated. You know, 
then move forward so that whatever whatever the reason is, whatever the tangible thing is that we think isn't right, date ballots aren't dated, ballots are being accepted, we don't know where these ballots came from, these ballots didn't get counted, whatever it is. Work hard between now and the next election. You have to make these these changes before the next election. All right, that's what should happen. That's what I think Donald Trump should have been doing the last two years. In fact, Donald Trump and uh, former gubernatorial candidate, current gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, who said that she was robbed in 2018 but couldn't prove it in any way, said all the same things Donald Trump says, almost word for word, same stuff. They should go on a tour around the country together. <laughs> There's no chance of this happening, but I can, I can dream. They should go on a tour around the country fighting for voter process reform. And they don't agree on certain things, but, but they both have said, hey, I got robbed. Okay, well, let's fix the problem. That's what we need to do. I think if I can encourage you, and, and maybe I just think about this too much, but I think, it, I think it matters. The concern that we have about our democracy, I think it's overblown and it's partisan right now. But if we don't trust our elections, if we have good reason not to trust the elections, or if we have bad reason but we just don't, um, that does create a problem. It just ties up the courts. It's very expensive. It does lead people who are susceptible to violence. UC Davis study said that 5 million Americans are likely – would be willing to kill somebody over this kind of thing. Well, those people shouldn't be encouraged simply because we refuse to take a look at how elections ought to be run. And so those of us who uh, are not that 5 million people need to do our job and have a better system. Uh, If you want to Google something that's practical, uh, look this up, the Help Americans Vote Act. I talk about it a lot, but it was in 2002 after the Democrats and Republicans came together after the debacle in the 2000 election between George Bush and Al Gore. And they came together and they produced a, a voting act about election reform. And it has all kinds of things in it that are suggested. Some of them are being done, but a lot of them haven't. And it talks about voting machines. It talks about voter registration quality lists. It talks about provisional ballots, voter ID, all of those things. And the interesting thing is, if you read through that document, which you can find online, Help Americans Vote Act, if you read through that document, I think that however you vote, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, if you're left or right, I'll bet you agree with almost everything in there. And in fact, the only thing I read in there that's sort of controversial now is the voter ID which I don't, I don't think should be. And you should know that it wasn't controversial for these people. Democrats and Republicans alike thought, no, everybody ought to have an ID. And if you don't have an ID, there's a provisional ballot system. You ever have to vote on a provisional ballot? If you go in and vote and they don't have your name or something, they'll give you a provisional ballot that says, hey, under penalty of perjury, you fill this ballot out and you say you're who you say you are. And then they go back later and they figure out if you really did have a right to vote there. And if you did, then they count your vote. Um, there's no reason you can't do that in every precinct. You're already doing it in every precinct in the country. You have a voter ID. If you don't have your ID with you or you can't have your ID or you lost it or you haven't renewed it or whatever the excuse is, no problem. Here's your provisional ballot. Fill that out. That solves that issue. And that issue alone actually would solve an awful lot in our country. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. The number is 888-528-2557. When we come back, I'll tell you a story about political violence in 1912, something that happened to a presidential candidate who got shot during a speech and continued to give the speech before he went to the hospital. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live, and we'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. 
This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Good to be back with you. Scott Furrow here today, Southern California Live. What a great day it is, by the way, outside. You know, there are days when you look outside and you go, you know what, I can't even see the mountains today. It's hazy, smoggy, whatever it is. Go outside and take a look at all across the Southland. This is a beautiful – this is why people move to Southern California. This is why people put up with it, the people who are staying. It's so gorgeous outside. I'm glad that you're here with me. 888-528-2557 is the number. We've been talking about uh, the threat of political violence and those kinds of things. Political violence is something that has happened, though, throughout our country's history. If it bothers you, if you feel kind of you know frightened about some of the things that have happened – uh, I just read on the news that Nancy Pelosi's husband got out of the hospital. It's good. And uh, we're glad. We're glad that he is not uh, worse off in all of that. The thing is, is that there's actually been times where the violence has been worse. I mean, obviously, there's the Civil War. But uh, beyond that, there have been moments of of political violence that have escalated at different times. One presidential candidate uh, in 1912 was shot. And he continued to give his speech, even though he was shot. Do you know about this? You know who this is? This is Teddy Roosevelt, former president, Teddy Roosevelt. He was running again for president in 1912. He left the office in 1909. And uh, after two terms, uh, he became president because President McKinley was shot. He was vice president. And that's how he became president. And he was elected on his own later. And uh, 1912, he was sick of what was going on. There was no term limits back then, so he decided to run again. He started his own party. He couldn't get the Republican nomination, so he started a party uh, called the Bull Moose Party. If you were going to start a political party, what would you call it? I'm thinking that Bull Moose doesn't really come to the top of the uh, to the list, but there it was, the Bull Moose Party. And one day he was giving a speech. It was on October 14th, 1912, and he was in an uh, auditorium in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And all of a sudden, the crowd, you know, it's a pretty big crowd there. It's Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, if you, even if you weren't voting for him, you still wanted to go see that guy speak. It was, it was incredible. There's a few recordings we have of him uh, these days, but uh, the people who were there who heard him all the time, it was just incredible. He had these long speeches. They were passionate. They were inspiring. He was a great orator. There's a reason they put his face up on uh, Rushmore. Anyway, uh, he says this. He says, all of a sudden, he says, friends, I shall ask you to be as quiet as possible. And then he said, I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shot. That's not usually the response to some when somebody, I don't know, whenever Whenever you've been shot, is that what you say? Hey, uh, that's what he did. And the audience, of course, is horrified. And then he says this. He unbuttons his jacket. And people see through his vest that he, he's all bloody. His bloodstained shirt. And then he says, it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. And he assured them that he's okay. He reached into his coat pocket and he pulled out his speech. His speech was 50 pages long, kind of all wadded up. And the bullets had gone right through it. Probably saved his life. The the speech, people said, had two big holes blown through each page. And he continued. He said, fortunately, I had my manuscript. So you see, I was going to make a long speech. And there is the bullet. There is where the bullet went through. And it's prob- it probably saved me from going into my heart. And then he says, the bullet is in me now. So I cannot make a very long speech. But I will try my best. And then he give, he gave his speech. 
And after the speech, people said that, you know, as the as the end of the speech started to come around, people were encouraging him to go to the hospital. And he refuted them. He said, I give you my word. I don't care a rap about being shot. Not a rap, he said. And he continued his speech. And by the end of it, he was getting tired and people could tell he was getting pale and he needed to go to the hospital. But he finished his speech before he did go to the hospital. Just two days before that, the editor-in-chief of uh, the Outlook magazine characterized Roosevelt as an electric battery of inexhaustible energy. And uh, that was definitely true. He gave a speech for 93, 90 minutes after getting shot. Uh, that's, I just think that's an incredible story. How many of us would, I mean, I don't think it's smart necessarily, right? I mean, he probably should have gone to the hospital right away. Um, not probably that's what he should have done, but he was Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, this guy was kind of crazy and, uh, that's what he did. Anyway, we have had presidents get assassinated. We have had candidates shot while they're running. And uh, I hope that we never see that again. And hopefully that's not something that's coming here. I think that's some of what some people's concern is. And if that's, you know, if you're listening and you have those thoughts and you're saying, you know what, I'm so fed up and I'm so frustrated with what's going on, I just might take matters into my own hand or whatever's going through your mind. Don't do that. That's, it's the wrong thing to do. And it doesn't help your side. I mean, do you know that? Do you know that when, when people commit political violence, it in the long run does not help their side. It helps the other side. It takes the you know attention away from, let's say, the other side even is more violent. Well, if you get violent, then you're just like the other side, and it diffuses the issue. That's why Jesus told us to turn the other cheek. This is what it means. It doesn't mean to let yourself get beat up. It doesn't mean to let yourself be a doormat for somebody. But in that passage where in Matthew where he describes the idea of turning the other cheek, he's describing a person who's getting hit on the face with the back of your hand. It says, quite literally, if someone were to strike you with the right hand on the right cheek. Like, how would you imagine that? Wherever you are right now, imagine how you would do that. Well, the only way to do that is you, it's a backhanded slap. It's the kind of slap that is a demeaning slap. Okay, it's something that you you do when you are um, seeing yourself as somebody who is more important or more valuable than that other person. And it's it's a very demeaning slap. It's that kind of hit. And what Jesus is saying is that you stand there and you turn the other cheek. And the interesting thing is that if you turn the other cheek, if you take this very literally, and I think this is how Jesus meant it, you take it very literally. Okay, so you hit me in the right cheek. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit, I'm going to turn my left cheek to you. If you do that, then what it forces that person to do, that person who'd hit you with his right hand, and they wouldn't hit you with your left hand. The left hand's unclean, right? So they hit you with the right hand. And with the back of the hand, this demeaning slap, it forces them, if they're not going to hit you on the left cheek, they're going to have to double up their fist and punch you directly. Now, what it does is two different things. It means that now he has you're sort of an equal if you're going to have that kind of fight, not encouraging people to have fights, okay? And Jesus wasn't doing that either. But that's what, what it does is it changes the, the approach here. It changes what is being seen. And see, and then Jesus would talk about if somebody sues you for your cloak, give them your tunic as well. The idea then is that if somebody is abusing you in court and they take away your, your coat, something that you need, well, then you give them your tunic. And in that culture, you probably didn't have underwear, so you'd be standing there wearing nothing. 
But in that culture also, what happens is in that courtroom, you'd be wearing nothing and the person abusing you now is holding your cloak and your tunic. Who's the bad guy in that story? Well, it's the person who took everything, including everything you had on your back. See, it changes this kind of, this is what nonviolence is. It changes the the structure, the power structure of of who is doing violence. When Jesus said, walk another mile with the Roman soldier, the Roman soldiers were entitled to force you to, to take their gear for one mile. And you had to carry their stuff, and it was heavy, gave that person a break. But after one mile, you were legally allowed to drop it. And when Jesus said, you go another mile, what happens is that suddenly you're in charge of the situation now. The soldier doesn't know what you're doing because you don't have to take his stuff, but you're doing it anyway. See, these these statements by Jesus talk about how to expose people who are doing wrong. And there's a lot to it, but this is nonviolence. It's not pacifism, all right? Uh, it's nonviolence. And in the political struggles that we have, if you're somebody who is thinking that you want to do something violent. When you do that, you just lower yourself beneath somebody else or you give them credibility that they wouldn't have before. See, if you just drop the stuff like everybody else, then you're the same. If you hit back in that circumstance when somebody demeans you, if people are watching it, they'll going, well, maybe you're uh, the same as that person. See what I mean? It's This is what Martin Luther King taught all the time. This is why when whenever the authorities took the fire hoses to people who were marching but not doing anything wrong. They weren't doing anything violent. They were singing hymns, and they went down on their knees, and the fire hoses were taken to them. Everything changed, and it changed all the way up to Washington, D.C., who had been ignoring it, because what was happening is that sometimes these these marches would turn violent, and then then people would look at it, and they would say, well, you know, it was bad what the police did, but also bad what the rioters did, and so everybody ignored it. But as soon as people turned the other cheek, it could not be ignored. President Kennedy couldn't ignore what was going on, and he was kind of ambivalent to it until people turned the other cheek. That is not weakness. That is wisdom. It is wisdom. It is strength. It's how you get things done to make things better for the long haul and for everybody. That's how it's done in the kingdom of God. We have to take Jesus' words seriously. And so let me encourage you that, you know, as things might get tense and tough, there is a time and right now to speak the truth, to be wise in how we approach things, to hold our leaders accountable, but don't go down the road of your opponent if they're doing something wrong, if they're violent, if they're saying terrible things. It does not help your side. It helps your side when you stand up to it, when you let it happen, when you you show the world that the other side is wrong. But if you do the same wrong, it it just doesn't work. It doesn't it doesn't help. All right, that's the uh, the biblical message. And uh, when we come back, we're going to have Greg Laurie talk about Harvest Crusade that's coming up, and we're excited about that. And we'll have more as the second hour of Southern California Live continues. I want to remind you. Election Day is Tuesday, and you can join me on Election Day online in a Facebook group called Ferocious, the Ferocious Election Day Special. It's a result group. It's nonpartisan, and we will do a national – we'll do everything nationally, and then we'll end up focusing here on California. We'll be up late, and uh, it's a fun group. It's called the Ferocious Election Day Special. Go to ferocious.com, F-U-R-R-O-W-C-I-O-U-S.com, and join me there. I'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. Stay tuned. 